Uh, today's passage comes from chapter 8 of Revelation. Uh, in chapter 8, we're going to see the seventh seal opened. Uh, this seventh seal, it sets forth the beginning of the sounding of these trumpets. So you have seven seals. Now you're going to see seven trumpets. Later we'll see seven bowls. But these seven trumpets contain um, the second great series of judgments. You saw that with, um, with these seals being opened. Now we're going to see very something, something very similar with these trumpets. This morning in chapter 8, we'll see the first four of these seven trumpets are blown in chapter 8. The seventh trumpet isn't blown until chapter 11. And again, let me remind you, if you struggle with this passage... If you find yourself this morning thinking, God is not being fair, then I would just challenge you to make sure that you have a biblical view of God. Um, Not some view of God that, that you've created, that you've come up with, but that you make sure that this is the God that's being described and defined in the Bible. So let's turn our attention to Revelation chapter 8 this morning. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet. And there followed hell and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Revelation 8. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we see these woes coming upon the earth, the trumpets, the judgment that's coming, I pray that that you would prepare us all for this day, that we would be with you, that we would be sealed, Lord, that you would uh, keep your word, that we can trust you no matter what. And Lord, this morning as we walk through this passage together, I pray that you would encourage us, um, those of us who are sealed by your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you'd convict those who are not, that we would, that we would um, know with certain that we are your children. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, you'd give us ears to hear from you this morning, and I pray all this in Christ's name, Amen. There's several important truths found in Revelation chapter 8. And if you've been with us every week, you're going to see that chapter 6 through 16, it's going to sound kind of repetitive. It's because it is. It's kind of like if we were just preaching through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's going to sound repetitive because it's basically chapter 6 through 16 are telling the same kind of story from different perspectives. And so this is very similar to the, um, the seals that were opened a few weeks ago. So... If, one of the truths we see here in this passage is um, we're reminded of the power of prayer. And I'm so glad that we are spending this summer on Wednesday nights focusing on prayer. Um, years ago, I mean, many churches, most churches had a midweek service, and it was simply called a prayer meeting. That's what it was called. I mean, that's all you did. You would come in on Wednesday, and you would just pray. Um, but now midweek services for most churches have become more like, it's kind of like a Sunday morning JV. I mean, it's, the music might not be as prepared or as Sunday morning. Um, the, the, the pastor puts a little less energy into that sermon prep. The attendance is kind of a hodgepodge of people. You have people who feel obligated every time the door is open, so they're there. You have people who, who have just been guilted into coming, so they're there. So I'm thankful that this, this summer we're just focusing on prayer. That's it. It's not, it's not gimmicky. Just, hey, let's come in on Wednesday nights as a family, individuals, family is, you know, it's a church family, and let's just pray. After we're done praying, we'll go out, play some games together, invite the community over. So I pray that you can be a part of that. Um, I know that some of you have other obligations during the week, um, so I know you can't be there on Wednesday nights, but I hope that you can be there if your schedule allows. And so here in Revelation 8, we will see how... The prayers of the saints play a role in God's justice. In this chapter, we're going to see how God is taking the prayers of all the saints, this includes you, and bringing judgment upon the earth. Another truth we see in this passage is that God's wrath is poured out against sin. God is holy. He's righteous. He is just. And if he would not punish sin then he would be in jeopardy of losing those attributes. So God is holy, righteous, just. He has to punish sin. But his holiness, his righteousness and justice allows him to show grace and mercy by providing a substitution for sin. And when we put these two truths together, you'll see the aim, I think, of this chapter. In this chapter, we're going to see that that God answers the prayers of his saints by judging the world. So if you're taking notes this morning, this chapter 
falls into three pretty clear sections or parts. Verses 1 through 5, we see the prayers of the saints being answered. Verses 6 through 12, we see the first four trumpets releasing wrath upon the earth. Verses, or verse 13, we see this eagle speaking this woe against the earth dwellers. So that's where we're headed this morning. So let's unpack these three sections verse by verse. So verse 1 says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence is kind of awkward, isn't it? You know, I just pause for like two seconds, and some of you are like, come on, dude, speak. Like, it's kind of awkward. Um, for those of you in community groups, you know, when, when your facilitator or leader asks a question, and it's just, you know, what do you guys see in this passage? We have to teach those leaders to count in their head to 10. Because if not, when, you, when you're just sitting there, the facilitator feels like, I just need to speak. I just need to speak because it's awkward. It's silent. And so we just tell them, all right, after you ask a question, just count to 10. Let them squirm and struggle a little bit. Maybe one of them will speak up. Uh, so here, there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, in chapter 7, you remember the, the people of God were sealed. Remember that? So people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue were sealed with this promise of God that, he, that those are his people. Now in chapter 8, we see the seventh seal is open. God has sealed his people to protect them from his wrath. Here, um, it seems like the opening of this seal initiates or begins the events that will bring history to its appointed end. So once this seal was open, there was silence in heaven for about an hour and a half, or excuse me, for about a half an hour. So for a, for a half an hour, silent. Now, uh, most think that this is symbolic for a short period of time. So it's, it's like the heavenly hosts, they're, they're waiting with this anticipation to see what the Lord Jesus, this, this warrior lion, this lamb, the shepherd, what is he going to do next? This is like the calm before the storm. There's a few passages in the Old Testament that may allude to this, um, to this silence in heaven. Look back. Um, they'll be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, Habakkuk 2.20. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple, that all the earth keeps silence before him. Zephaniah 1, verse 7 says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Zechariah 2.13, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So here's this picture in verse 1, heaven is just quiet. Um, then verse 2 sets the scene for the blowing of the trumpets. Verse 2, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. 
Okay, so we see eight angels in total in these three verses. The first seven angels are given seven trumpets. Notice this divine passive language once again. We talked about this last week, that the angels here were given. They were given these trumpets. They didn't come snatch them out of God's hand. This was all done in God's perfect timing. He is willingly handing over these trumpets to these angels who would each blow their trumpet when the Lord gave his signal. So maybe you're wondering why trumpets? Kind of strange thing. You know, is is God biased towards the brass section? Is God a fan of jazz? Think more military battle. Like, oh, you know, this is written first century. Trumpets were sounded during wartime in order to communicate to the troops. So these seven trumpets were used to communicate what God was doing upon the earth. What I find fascinating about these three verses is how God's sovereign purposes for history are shaped by our prayers. I don't know if you caught that. Um, so this whole idea of prayers, maybe some of you have questioned. I know I've at least thought through these questions myself. Maybe you are like me this morning and you think, do my prayers really change the world? You know, why do we pray? Do they even matter? You've been there? I mean, we pray about peace. No peace comes. We pray for justice, but we keep seeing and hearing about more injustice taking place. With our eyes, it seems like our prayers may not really matter. So I'll be the first one to stand and confess this morning that I find myself um, guilty of this toxic way of thinking about prayer. That sometimes I, I just think, well, why do we even pray? You know, you just, you, you, we, we, don't, you know, we don't see this change. You know, part of it for me is I'm a doer. I don't like going to meetings, and maybe some of you go to these kind of meetings. I hate these meetings where you go to these meetings because there's some kind of problem and you go to these meetings and you talk about the problems, you come up with solutions to the problems, and then you leave the meeting without implementing the solutions to the problems. You been there? Might be called work. I like action. I want to see change. If we spend half the time trying to change the world around us as we spend posting complaints about the world we see around us on social media, then the world might just be a better place. But here is where prayer is difficult for me. Prayer is an act of confessing that you cannot do anything, that you are hopeless, that you need God to intervene if anything is going to happen in that area. And I will admit that's hard for me. I can often just think that we just need a better plan. We just need to execute better. Um, but prayer, it's also about exalting the Lord and asking for help. It's humbling yourself. It's making much of the Lord, exalting him for who he is, giving him praise. And then there's this part of prayer that can also be supplication, where you're, you're, you're begging, you're asking, Lord, I need these things. And he makes promises. If you need something to fill the, the task of moving the kingdom of God forward, I will give it to you. Just ask. 
those two things I'm not, I'm not very good at. Um, I'm not one that, I'm not naturally good at complimenting others. Just ask my sweet wife. Uh, on Friday, um, this past Friday, we celebrated 16 years of marriage. Um, I'm sure it's been much harder for her those 16 years than me. I'm, I'm the blessed one. Um, and so uh, I thought you guys would laugh, but nobody laughed because you know it's true. Uh, she has learned over the years that if she wants a compliment, she may just have to ask me, you know, hey, do you like my new haircut? This shirt is new. Do you like it? Um, so I would not call myself one who is good at praying. I don't just naturally think about complimenting. Um, you know, it has, it has to be a reminder. If you would say, hey, let's pray together and let's brag about who God is. Amen. Let's do it. Um, it just doesn't come naturally for me. Some of you are so good at praying. Um, and I'm so thankful you're in this church. You balance me out. So I would, I would not call myself uh, a great prayer. I'm guessing I'm not alone this morning. I'm guessing many of you probably find yourself in a very similar situation where you feel like it's hard to stay focused. You just don't know what to say. It feels repetitive. Some of you fall asleep while you pray. Some of you, and it's not because you've been praying until, you know, 2, 3 a.m. It's just because you get distracted. Um, some of you pray for a few minutes, and then you're thinking about the, the task you have to get done that day. And after you catch yourself, you know, five, ten minutes later, you're like, what am I doing? I'm, I was before the throne room of God, and now I find myself over here talking about the day. So I don't think I'm alone, and this is why it's been said that Few, few spiritual disciplines are more difficult to cultivate than the discipline of prayer. Um, one reason is we fail to see the immediate benefits. It seems to be a wasted effort. Okay, I prayed, so now what? How long, oh Lord, do I have to wait before I see something happen? You've been there, right? You've probably prayed for someone that you loved, for a healing, and you're waiting for that healing, and the Lord doesn't answer it as you think he should. Um, you pray for an opportunity, um, and that opportunity doesn't come as you think it should. So if you're free this Wednesday, I, I hope that you, can, you can make to our time of prayer and fellowship at 630. Um, so in this passage, you see this idea of like prayer of saints, um, and then you see God doing his thing. And so I love this quote. It helps me resolve the tension between God's sovereignty and man's prayers. You know, if God's sovereign, why do we even pray if he's just going to kind of do his will? So I love this. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishments on earth. And I've read other things from John Piper that talk about how, how God, you know, he's sovereign and he's using our prayers. Our prayers are part of his plan um, that he's... Um, um, releasing upon the earth. and So here's that quote really helps me reconcile God's sovereignty and man's prayer. So let me say that again. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishments on earth. But I think naturally we're not very good at praying. And I think part of it, at least for men, I know I've shared this before, men on average say about 3,000 words a day. Ladies, on average, say about 10,000 words a day. And this is why I think 
naturally women are better at praying than men. Uh, you, you, it's more natural for you just to talk. And so you had this great conversation with God. Some of the most amazing prayers, prayers that I know are, are women. Uh, and so I'm very thankful this church has a lot of prayer warriors. Um, but I don't think there's too many men leading their families in prayer. And um, again, I feel like um, I, I don't do that as well as I should. I don't lead my family in prayer the way that... Um, I know the Lord would want me to, um, to lead them. I feel like I was much better when our older kids were younger. Um, when they all had the same bedtime, we were much better at doing um, family devotions and praying together. Um, but I would say Olivia is much better than me at making sure our family is praying together. Um, you know, she loves when at night, when I just lean over and just pray over her, or in the mornings when I wake up before I go to work, I just pray over her. Um, but there are far too many nights, uh, instead of my eyes being fixed upon Christ and his kingdom, my eyes are in the bed fixed upon my iPhone at some pointless video. Um, so I, I, I don't want us to miss this connection here in this passage between the prayers of God's people and the outworking of God's purposes to save and judge. So these events are direct response to the prayers of God's people, all the saints. Notice again the divine passive in verse 3, where the angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. God gave that angel the incense that would come alongside the prayers of his people. And all of these judgments come from the very throne of God. I wonder how many of our prayers will be answered on that day. You know, all the years we've been praying and wondering, when's God going to answer them? Many of us, we've prayed for justice. Maybe you, you're aware of some child being abused, and so that's kind of stirred your heart to pray for justice. Or maybe it's a baby being aborted, or for God to step in because of the horror stories of human trafficking and racism. And so you just, your heart is bent towards, God, I just want to see justice. And I've wept with many of you over these things. We've been begging for the Lord to move in these areas. And that's exactly what he's doing in this chapter. He's moving. One day your prayers will be poured out before the throne. And will initiate the renewal of all things. So as you have prayed for justice and feel like God hasn't answered, just maybe the ultimate answer may be at the final judgment. When you've prayed for peace, maybe the ultimate answer just might be after the prince of peace separates the sheep from the goats. When you've prayed for healing, the ultimate answer may just be a resurrected body. May we become a people of prayer. May prayer never become mechanical for us. Uh, may it not just be a way of, uh, of, of transitioning the service um, may not just be something we do just because that's just what you do. I, I hope our time of prayer is more than just before a meal we share together. So then we see the results of the prayer of the saints in verse 5. Verse 5, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashings of lightning in an earthquake. 
If you're familiar with the Old Testament, last week's passage should take your mind back to the wilderness of Exodus. We saw that comparison last week. There are a lot of similarities between the two. Well, today's passage should take us back to Moses on Mount Sinai and the ten plagues of Egypt. So these peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and the earthquake sounds a lot like Exodus 19 and 20. I don't know if you're familiar with those, that passage, but that's where Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. Here in verse 5, we see a similar scene unfolding. Put yourself in the scene. This would be a frightening scene for us. In Exodus 19, we see the Israelites experience this scene. God tells them when, they, when, when he comes near the mountain to run up and be with him. But they see all this, hear these things, and they, they, they get scared. They, they, they flee the mountain instead of running up. Verse 5 is just the precursor to the sounding of the seven trumpets. And in verse 6 through 12, we, we see the wrath of a holy God falling upon a wicked world. When the Israelites were captives in Egypt, they cried out to God for help. God judged Egypt in order to deliver Israel. This was God responding to their prayers, to the prayers of his people. The book of Revelation is showing us the ultimate exodus. But this time, God is not judging one nation, but rather he's bringing wrath upon all of those who oppose him. So let's look down our Bibles, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass, all the green grass was burned up. And I'm not sure how many of you have memorized the ten plagues, but the results of this trumpet are very similar to the seventh plague that God brought against Egypt. Listen, listen to, um, to this. This comes from Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained upon, um, the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy Hail, as um, such as never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hell struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hell struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Have you ever seen the book of Revelation being another exodus of Egypt? where God is rescuing his children from slavery and bringing them into the promised land. Isn't this beautiful? Just, I love how the Bible is telling one big story of God rescuing his people. I've never really looked at Revelation being paralleled with the Exodus story, the wilderness and the promised land. We sing songs about heaven being the promised land, but I've never really connected those until I started studying this back you know, together as one big story. So here we, we see this first trumpet affects the earth. And now in verse 8, we see the second trumpet affects the sea. Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet, 
And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like anything? A third of the sea becomes blood. The blast of the second trumpet sounds a lot like the first plague that was on Egypt, where the Nile was turned to blood and all the fish died. So here, God is making war on his creation. A third of the world is being destroyed as a result of these judgments. I want us to pause for a moment. Do you think God is overreacting to humanity's actions? I mean, most people in the world are good, right? Why would God go through such drastic measures? If you think God is overreacting, I want to challenge you that your view of God is too small. I would argue that the extent of this devastation, of this warring against mankind, it's meant to show how great, how big God is, how holy and righteous he is. It's to show us how serious a crime that this is against a holy and righteous God. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's very fitting for this. If, if, if one of you were to come up to me after the service and just, you're mad at what I'm preaching, you just punch me right in the face. It's not happened yet. Legally, not much would happen to you. Maybe some other people might jump you. I'm hoping I had somebody have my back, maybe. <laughs> Legally, nothing would really happen to you. Maybe a fine, but probably not. But if you were to punch Governor Justice in the face, you would be jumped, right? You'd be jumped by his agents, and you'd probably see some jail time, I'm guessing. Governor Justice is more than just a little bit more important than me. He's leading our... So you're going, no, he's not. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he has a bigger role. Than, than I do. So what if you were to punch President Biden in the face? There's a really good chance you're not just going to get jumped. You're going to get shot. You're going to get taken down. Here's my point. The more important the person, the more serious the crime. If punching the President of the United States in the face would lead to your death, Think how much more greater your punishment will be for the crime you've committed against a holy, eternal, righteous God. So God is just enjoying this. Mankind has rebelled against God. Romans 1 reminds us of this truth, that no one is without excuse. Now let's look to the last two angels. Look at verse 10. The third, I say the last two angels of this chapter. We only see, we only see four um, trumpets, four angels in this chapter. The third angel in verse 10 blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a, on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, 
And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now, such a strange name, Wormwood. I feel like I'm reading C.S. Lewis, like screw tape letters kind of feel to this. But a third of the waters became Wormwood. Um, This is the only mentioning of Wormwood in the New Testament. Old Testament, there's a few references. Um, But here we see that many people died from the water because it it, it was made bitter. You couldn't drink it. Uh, So just like the second trumpet, the effects of the third trumpet correspond to that first plague on Egypt, which affected the Nile. So this is actually a reversal. Um, If some of you have been reading through the Old Testament, maybe you remember this. This is actually a reversal of the Israelites. They experienced this in the wilderness. Right after they crossed uh, the Red Sea, right after they sang the song of Moses, um, In Exodus 15, God made the water that tasted like wormwood. It was bitter. He made it taste um, clean, refreshing. But here he takes a third of the world's clean, refreshing water and turns it bitter. So stop and think about this for a moment. Every time that you drink clean water, it is mercy from God that he sustained the water um, so that it can be refreshing to you he hasn't put you know this wormwood this bitterness into it he's held that back so how many of you give thanks when you drink just a nice glass of water we take clean water for granted i know there's other countries that probably do thank god every time they drink clean fresh water but we probably don't we just take it for granted So here in a few minutes, when we have snacks, you take some of that lemonade made with fresh water, not bitter water, but you just praise God for this great tasting water that can be used for things like lemonade, so, or coffee. Well, coffee's kind of bitter, isn't it? Not mine. Mine, Mine's like sophisticated Kool-Aid. Time I'm done with it, it's like, it's got cream and sugar and it's real thick when it comes out. Verse 12, we see the fourth and final trumpet of this chapter being blasted. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. The results of this fourth trumpet matches the ninth plague on Egypt. The ninth plague is where the Egyptians, remember that? They, they suffered three days of darkness while miraculously the Jews, the Israelites, they had light. It was a strange uh, miracle that took place. With this trumpet blast, God struck the objects that gave light. God struck the sun, struck the moon, the stars. By his holy will at creation, God made these things shine. Um, and by his good holy will, he can make them also go, go dark, just like that. Just as he spoke the sun to give light, he can make that same sun go dark. So when I read this passage, I think it encourages us to not put our trust in created things. And man, we do that so often. We put our trust in created things. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase that's so commonly used to speak of things with certainty. Like, for example, when I'm playing against um, Dustin in some basketball and he asks me if, if he thinks I'm going to win, 
You know, my response would be, as sure as the sun will come up tomorrow, Dustin. <laughs> Meaning that every day since the beginning of time, we know the sun will rise. That's a phrase we just use. I'm as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. I know every day we've lived in this house, the sun comes up in the kids' kids' bedrooms on that side of the house. I know every morning it will set on Mount Olivia's side of the house every day, certain. But what Revelation 8 reminds me is I can't put my hope in that. We cannot put our hope in the created world. There's coming a day when the sun will be struck. I'm not even going to be able to speculate what that means. I'm not even going to try. But the sun will not shine tomorrow. It will not rise. I think what John is wanting us to understand is that we should not put our ultimate hope in created things. All things, even the most secure things like the light of the sun, all things in heaven and on earth are passing away. So the question this morning is, in whom do you put your trust in? We close this morning in verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. We are introduced to an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flies directly overhead. His cry is a three-fold woe against those who dwell on the earth. A woe is a pronouncement of a painful judgment coming upon you. We see the woe is focused upon those who dwell on the earth, these earth dwellers. These are people who lived for this world alone. These are people who are not concerned with God and his purposes and God will judge them for refusing to honor him as God. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to listen to this. These woes are directed at you. You are who this verse is talking about. Your life is about this world. You're living for yourself. You're not living for God. You might be sitting here thinking this morning, that's not fair of God, but this is actually extremely kind of God because he's giving you a warning right now. He's giving you a chance to repent of your sins. It's so kind of he's given us his word that we, we have this warning, that we know what's happening, we know what's coming. So he's giving you a chance right now to repent of your sins, to trust in him. And be saved from these woes that are coming upon you. If you refuse to repent, then what I see from this passage is that these woes are waiting for you. Today's the day of salvation for you. Repent. Put your trust in Christ. For those of you who've already repented of your sin, you've trusted Christ for salvation, then this morning is about an opportunity that you get to celebrate what he's done for you. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as one big family. I love this. Um, so this morning, um, if you're, maybe you're a guest with us this morning, you've never celebrated the Lord's Supper with us. The Lord's Supper means this. 
Um, the Lord was with his disciples, and um, they were celebrating a meal called the Passover meal. Passover meal took them back to when? To that 10th plague. Um, when, when God passed over the homes that had the blood on the doorpost. We talked about that last week. So here, God was passing over the, these people. God wanted his people to remember how gracious he was. So every year, they would celebrate this Passover meal. So when Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples, he, he, he told them, he's like, I, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Um, this Passover meal is pointing you to something that I'm getting ready to do for you guys. Just as God delivered you from um, this physical death, I'm delivering you from this spiritual death. Uh, and so he tells them, he, as they're sharing this meal together, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this, this bread is, is broken for you. So my, my body is going to be broken for you. This cup, uh, this cup is going to be poured out just as my blood is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So do this when you guys meet together. Remember what I've done for you. So this morning, we get to do that. And how cool was that? Just think, for 2,000 years now, Christians have gathered together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Churches do it differently. Here at Huntington Community Church, at least this week, how we're doing it, um, it, it probably it might be best if you start the line up the aisles. So you'll come up this side or come up this side. And then you'll take the elements and then come back up the middle, just so we're not crowding the middle space here. So form the lines from the outside. And there'll be some people here, and they're just holding some trays. And there'll be two cups together. You might even notice that. But one cup will have the bread at the bottom. The top will have, uh, will have um, uh, the juice. And so you'll just take that and um, just know that the bread is broken for you. The cup has been poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you're ready, you come and uh, participate in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Um, Father, prepare our hearts now um, to take of this table. Lord, I pray that we would um, confess any sin that we're just holding on to right now, that we'd be able to come to this table with a clear heart, clear conscience, that we are right before you, right before others. Uh, Lord, for those that are, that are not believers, Lord, I pray this would be a time where they would just reflect and that you would just convict them, um, help them to see that their life is just, um, they're just living for themselves, and not for you. So whenever you're ready this morning, and then you come and take of the Lord's Supper, I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.